three years, so I have not been able to find a parking space. So I parked in a disabled space, and Gordon's gone to find me another one. But that's, actually, that's great. It'd be brilliant if I couldn't find a parking space more often, because that means there's more people in here. So more parking problems, Lord, we ask. <laughs> uh, last weekend, I was up in Glasgow with Ian and Lindsay Kennedy, who uh, those of you around then will remember. So <laughs> remember, of course, you remember. Uh, who was, uh, led this congregation was so much part of us and uh, moved last August to start a church in Glasgow, which they launched in January, and it was just wonderful to be with them and see what they're doing. They're in a fantastic venue right in the centre of Glasgow, which is a really dynamic, fun city. I, I've been there a few times now uh, with Ian, and I've really enjoyed my visits to Glasgow. It's a great place. And uh, they're right in the city centre. About 90 people there, which is amazing, just nine months in. Uh, lots of students in 20s, as you'd expect, but also families with little kids and uh, more people over the age of 40 than I was anticipating. Uh, those of you who know Ian and Lindsay know their, their ability to connect with people across all kinds of ages, and that's reflected in the church that's being built there. So, so encouraging to see what God's doing. Um, please keep praying for them. God's blessing them. A practical prayer request still is they still haven't been able to sell their house here in Vale Road, just around the corner, and they really need to sell that. It's on the market at the moment. So it'd be great to see uh, God come through for them on that and be able to sell that house and, and buy somewhere in Glasgow. Right, we're in our series on more prayer, and uh, we are committing to pray each day over 50 days. If you are new here this morning and haven't get, got one of these yet, please do grab one. If you are not new and have got one of these, I'd encourage you to keep it close at hand and refer to it regularly and to keep committing to praying. Um, it's been great how many people have been coming out Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday each week to pray. Uh, I'd encourage you to get out again this week and pray. Gather together and pray. Tomorrow evening, Dan and Hannah's house, Tuesday, evenings, uh, Tuesday evening at uh, Richard and Victoria's, and on it goes. To really encourage you to look at this, get hold of it, get out and uh, pray. It's so good to pray together. And so far in this series, we've been looking at and praying about prayer itself, more prayer, Lord. We've been praying that we might know more of God. We've been praying that we'd see more people coming to know God. And we've been praying that we'd have a greater experience of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us, yes. And uh, today, our theme is more resources for the mission. And the thing I'd like you to pray for as we gather throughout this week is to pray for God to pour out material blessing on us that we might have more resources for the mission that God has called us to. And to help us in that, we're going to look at one of the great prayers of the Old Testament. It's a prayer that's found in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 26. And it's a prayer that if you were reading through Deuteronomy, you might not even spot as a prayer because it's kind of hidden in the story as part of the narrative, but it is a prayer, and it's a wonderful prayer, and a great prayer for us to learn from. It's actually anticipating what will happen, because at the time that Moses teaches the Israelites to pray this way, they have not yet, yet entered the promised land. They're about to, but they're not there yet. And um, if you're doing community Bible reading with us, as Nathaniel was just encouraging you to do, at the moment we're reading the book of Joshua, and we're at that part in the story of Joshua where, to be honest, if you're reading it, you're probably thinking, 
What on earth is the point of reading this? Because it's just lists of names and boundaries of the land. And of course, the point is that it's all about God finally bringing his people into their inheritance. And those names and those boundaries matter because this is real for those people involved. And it's part of the whole story of what God is doing through the ages. And here in Deuteronomy, God, through his servant Moses, is telling the people how they are to live once they have finally entered the promised land. Once they get there, they are to live in a way which is meant to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like, what it looks like to live under the Lord's rule and reign. And so the laws that Moses gives the people in Deuteronomy reflect that. There's a strong emphasis upon social justice in terms of the rule of law, in terms of equity, in terms of due legal process, in terms of caring for the weak, providing for the poor, caring for the orphan and widow, health and safety, making sure that if you have a house with a flat roof, you build a parapet so people don't fall off. All that kind of stuff is in there because God is concerned about social justice. Another big emphasis is about marital faithfulness. God wants his people to live in a way where there is family security and integrity because that brings health and security to the whole community. And also the kingdom of God is to be displayed amongst them as they worship. That worship is to be absolutely essential to the Israelites' experience in the land that God has given them. They had to keep directing their gaze towards their Lord in heaven and to call the nations of the earth to look to him as well. And out of all that, generosity will flow. Generosity will be a natural byproduct of a community which is flourishing, where there's justice and security and commitment and faithfulness and worship. Generosity just flows out of that. It has to. And the expectation is that the land they are entering itself is going to be a generous land. There's a lot of fearfulness at the moment in our world about whether the planet will continue to be generous. As the people of Israel entered the promised land, they had none of those concerns. Their anticipation is that this is going to be a generous land. It's a land overflowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a fruitful place. That's why we're going there. God is not going to lead his people into a place where there's going to be scrimping to get by. God's not sending them to the promised land to be poor. He's sending them into the promised land to know an abundance of blessing in every way, spiritually, emotionally, in terms of community and security and materially. They're going to be fruitful, not because of who they are, but because of the blessing of God. The Israelites are going to experience blessing in the land and as they experience that blessing, they in turn will demonstrate gratitude to God for the blessings they receive. And so Moses teaches them this prayer, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1, page 203 in these Bibles. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people. 
and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place a basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your households. This is a wonderful prayer of declaration. This prayer declares where they are. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. What God promised has happened. God keeps his promises. And so when the Israelites were to come before God with this offering, it was a statement of faith, a statement of trust. We believe in God. We believe God makes promises and we believe that God keeps his promises. And the fact that I'm standing here today is demonstration that yes, God has fulfilled his words. Now, this is what we Christians do every time we gather and we pray and we sing. We declare our confidence in the reality of God, the promises he makes, the promises he keeps. Here in the death of Christ, I live, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. We sing words like that, pray words like that, declaring, yes, God's made promises. He's kept them. That's the reason we're standing here today. The reason I'm here today is because what you have done for me. The reason that you're here in this room today is because the Lord has got you here. You're here because of him. We're here because of God. The second thing the prayer declares is that it declares what they were. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. They were nothing in themselves. Their ancestor Abraham, the founder of the people of Israel, was nothing. He was a wandering Aramean. He was a nomadic Iraqi wandering around, utterly obscure, of no significance whatsoever until God called him. And then the non-entity became a nation. We were nothing. We became a great nation. Now, the same thing is true for us. Most of us were nothing. Most of us can't trace back in our family tree and find great, famous people and great exploits recorded there. Most of us have come from not very much and, to be honest, don't amount to very much. But we come to Christ and we become great. We become part of the people of God. This is what the Lord does. We who are nothing in ourselves, we become part of a great nation, a mighty people. And the prayer the Israelites were to pray acknowledges this. We're not what we are because of us. It's because of you. Without you, we'd still just be wandering Aramaeans. Without you, I'd still just be digging turnips out of the ground with my teeth like my ancestors did. 
That's what my grandfathers were. They were just turnip pickers, and now because of you, I'm part of the people of God. So important to remember our origins, where we've come from. And most of us have come from nowhere. And God has got hold of us. And you come to Jesus, given dignity. He brought us a son, a daughter into the house of God. And it's so important that we remember, we declare the miracle of what we have become, the miracle of God's grace. He's got hold of us. He's joined us into his people. We now have such dignity, such privilege, such prestige. We are princes and princesses in the household of God, his holy people, his chosen holy people, a people special to God. Wow. The third thing the prayer declares is it declares what they had suffered. The Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. The story of the Israelites in Egypt, the slavery they experienced is absolutely central to the story that they faced opposition and difficulty and hardship and suffering, not just for a day or two, but decade upon decade. That was their experience, a lived experience of the oppressive slavery of Egypt. And that story is central to the story of the people of Israel, but it's actually central to the, it's an illustration of the human condition at large, that the human story is one of suffering, the human story is one of slavery. It's worked out in all kinds of ways. It's worked out sometimes in literal slavery as the Israelites experienced, but slavery is the natural human condition. We are enslaved. We're enslaved to our desires and our needs. We're enslaved by the demands of others. We're enslaved by the tyranny of the world in which we live and the stuff that just washes into our lives over which we have no seeming control. We're enslaved by the demands of our employers and by the demands of our rent or our mortgage and we're enslaved by our, our lusts and we're enslaved by our wants and we're enslaved by uh, the weather which we can't change and we're, we're just held captive by all kinds of things. That's the natural state of the human race and the origin of that is the slavery of sin that in ourselves we are not free. We're not free to do whatever we like. We're, we're held. We're kind of trapped. We are enslaved. The people of Israel suffered. You've suffered. I've suffered. But God didn't leave them there. And so the next thing they declare is this. It de the prayer declares God's rescue. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, God is not indifferent to the suffering of his people. And God is determined not to leave his people in the place of slavery. And what they are incapable of doing for themselves, he does for them. People of Israel, slaves in Egypt, incapable of obtaining their own freedom, God intervenes, sends a rescuer, sends Moses, performs signs and wonders. He sets them free. He delivers them. And the Exodus, the story of the people of Israel leaving Egypt, crossing the sea, moving towards the promised land, it's a picture of what the gospel is, of God's intervention, of God's rescue for us, that 
We now have one who's greater than Moses. We have Jesus who has come. He has intervened. He brings us into Exodus. By him, we cross over. Jesus brings us out of the things we were caught in, the slavery we were trapped by, and he brings us into the freedom of being sons and daughters of the king. He takes us out of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh and brings us into the spacious, gracious place of knowing him as Lord and King. He brings his people into a good place. He brings his people into an abundant land. That's what the Lord does. And so the prayer declares God's rescue. And then the prayer declares that what God has done demands a response. Now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. It's the Lord who brings us into rescue. It's the Lord who brings us into fruitfulness. And so when the Israelites came before God to make this offering, to pray this prayer, it was a, an acted out prayer that they came not just with words, but they came with hands full of stuff, a basket full of the first fruits, the, the first bit of the crop, the best bit of the crop. Look, Lord, what you have done. I've grown this stuff. The land has produced this. The only reason I've been able to is because of your mercy, your blessing, your grace, because you got me here. And so, Lord, I want to respond to that. I have to respond to that. You've been so good to me. Look what you've enabled me to do. Here it is, giving it back. Yes. The declaration that what God has done demands a response. And then the final thing the prayer does is to is that it declares joy. It declares joy. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. You shall rejoice. That's a, that's a command from God to his people. You shall rejoice. You shall celebrate. You shall party because of the good things I'm going to bless you with. It's that time of year when traditionally churches would have celebrated Harvest Festival. We're living in an urban environment, so we kind of don't think about harvests. We go to the shops and you can buy strawberries every day of the year and you kind of forget that there is such a thing as a harvest. I think primary schools still do harvest festivals, but even there when it's just stacking up tins of beans and packets of dry pasta, it's not quite the same as bringing in the sheaves from the first reaping of the harvest. But Part of the challenge of our urban society and living in a consumer society is, yeah, we forget the realities of harvest because the stuff is always there. And actually, rather than being taught to have rhythms of celebration for the harvest we have, we are taught to complain if we don't quite, things aren't quite to the standard we expect. So you go to the shop on Christmas Eve, and if there are no strawberries, that's an outrage! Whereas, of course, it's absolute madness that you can buy strawberries at Christmas at all. And so we need to, like the Israelites, learn again to celebrate for what God has given us, to rejoice in his blessings towards us. And central to the Israelites' story, central to their way of life, central to their witnessing what the kingdom of God looks like, is rejoicing. God has blessed us. The reason that we have a harvest, the reason that we have food on the table and in our bellies is because of God's blessing to us. And there's a wonderful inclusiveness to this celebration as well. It says, you, you the person who bring the offering, you the person who've worked the land and produced the harvest, you're to rejoice. You've grown this stuff, enjoy it. 
But not just you, also the Levites, who are the Levites, where they're the priests. And they haven't grown the stuff because they're busy ministering in the house of the Lord. But they're going to rejoice as well because they're going to get the benefit of what you've grown. You're bringing this offering, which is an offering to God, but actually the Levites are going to eat it. They're going to rejoice. And it's not just for you and for the Levites, you Israelites, it's also for the foreigners residing among you. Those people that you might think, they don't really belong here. Actually, they, you're calling them into the party as well. The foreigners are invited in too. There's a wonderful inclusivity to this rejoicing. And that's what the gospel is like. The gospel is beautifully inclusive. Yesterday in my house, we uh, 17 people were with us exploring what it means to be a member of Gateway Church. And even in that little group of 17 people, I think there are four or five different nationalities represented. Yes, that's amazing. That's brilliant. That's what the gospel does. The gospel is inclusive. We're called to rejoice together. We're called to rejoice. Now, anything that Israel, the people of Israel could say we can say all the more. Anything they can pray, we can pray all the more. Anything they can speak about, we can speak about all the more. We were nothing in ourselves, but we have been chosen by God. If you know Jesus, it's because he has got hold of you. He chose you. He wanted you. We have dignity as sons and daughters of the king. Who are you? What did you amount to? Well, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. What counts is if you come to Christ, you now are counted as a son, as a daughter of the king. What a privilege, what dignity, what security. We were held captive to sin and idols. There were all kinds of things which had mastery over us, which controlled us, which wanted to possess us. And Jesus in his grace smashes that and brings us into freedom so that we can live in genuine freedom, unentangled by the mess of the world. We did live under a ruthless taskmaster, not Pharaoh as a slave master, but we did live under the reality of all the things we were held captive by. And now we have a gracious Savior, Jesus, whose yoke is easy and burden is light. The one who brings us into a place of peace, peace with God. And all we have, we have only because the Lord's has provided it for us. In this room, there are different measures of income and need and wealth. There are different measures of skill and education. And it's very easy for us to kind of think, well, it's all just down to that. It's because she's more intelligent and she's got a better job and so she earns more money and he's a bit of a waster and so he doesn't earn so much. Actually, the fundamental story is that anything we have is because of the grace of God. It's all a gift. If you're more educated and intelligent and have a higher paying job, well, you didn't earn that. It's God's gift to you. And if you're struggling by and you haven't got enough money and you haven't got a decent job or maybe not a job at all, well, where are you going to find help? In the end, it's going to be by the Lord providing for you. That's how it works. Everything we have comes from him in the end. We're dependent creatures. And so our hearts and our mouths and our actions should overflow in gratitude to God. Anything that I have and all that I have, I have only because, Lord, of you. And this means that we should be unembarrassed about asking for more. The Lord is able to provide his people with all that they need because the Lord is kind to us. And so we should ask him to provide 
for us all that we need for the mission to which he has called us. Have we earned it? No. Do we deserve it? No. So what do we do? Well, we ask for it. We ask for more. We ask for more of God. That's how the grace of God operates. It's not on the basis of our track records. It's not on the basis of how well we've done. It's not on the basis of our ancestry or our education or our ethnicity. It's all on the basis of his grace. Lord, I don't deserve anything, so what am I going to do? Lord, give me more. Lord, you've already given me this much. That's amazing. Do I deserve any more? No, I don't. What am I going to do? Lord, give me more. Why? Because that's what God is like. Leads his people into a place of abundance, not into a place of poverty. And the mission that God has called us to is big, and so we need to ask for big resources. Nathaniel just talking as we were praying about some of the immediate needs around this area. If we're going to make a genuine impact in our town, we need resources from God. Where are we going to get them from? By the Lord providing them for us. So Lord, would you give us more, more resources for the mission. Today and next week, we're taking up an offering for our vision funds. These uh, vision fund cards are available, which gives some details about that and talk about how you can give regularly to that as well as one off as we are, as we do each term, as we're doing today and next week. The uh, thing that we're giving to as we give to our vision fund is primarily focused towards things that we want to do with our buildings. And I know the challenge of that because it's much easier to give when there's something really concrete that you're giving to. When you've got all the data, when it's lined up, this is the exact project, this is exactly what it's going to look like, and this is exactly when it's going to happen, this is how much it's going to cost. That helps focus the mind, it tends to help focus giving. The reality is we're not in that point, it's a little bit more fuzzy still. So there are some immovable facts, though, that we have. In our two buildings, our two congregations, up at Alder Road, that building desperately needs sorting out. It's no longer functioning in the way that we need it to for the mission that God has called us to. And I know for us here at 502, you might think, well, they're up at Alder Road, they can sort it out themselves. Yeah, but we're one church meeting in two places, and so we stand together in this. There's also things that we'd love to do here at 502. It's great the way that we have more and more children amongst us. Lord, give us more kids, but run out of space. It's great the way that we have tea and coffee and cakes every week. We're all crunched in there. It'd be great if we could get a second floor built out the back for our kids' work. It'd be great if we get a bigger, better kitchen put in, all that stuff. So we have this immovable fact that there are things that we would love to do and we need to do to our buildings. The second immovable fact is that that is going to cost lots of money. However it's skinned, it's going to involve a figure which then has lots of zeros after it. That's just the reality. And so the reality is, with those two immovable facts, there's stuff that we want to and need to do with our buildings, and it's going to cost a lot of money. The reality is that the more that we give, the more that we've got, the closer we get to being able to do the things that we dream of doing. So the more that we have, the bigger the pot, the faster we can act. I don't want to be here in 10 years' time still trying to get this stuff sorted out. We need to get the pot up in order to be able to get closer to the things that we will do. And so as we give, as we give today, as we give next week, as we give just regularly in our regular giving, let our giving be shaped like this prayer in Deuteronomy. As we give, let's declare where we are. We're here in BCP by the grace of God. 
Now, you might think that you're here, that you live here because you were born here or because you moved here for a job or because you got fed up with living in London and wanted a better lifestyle and so you came down here. But actually, if you're here, the reason that you're here is because God has a purpose for you here. He has called you here to witness to him and for him and to bring the good news of his grace into this place where we live. We're here with a purpose. God has got us here. And... If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been raised with Christ and you have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And that means that the people of God, the church, us, is a place where heaven and earth touch and we are meant to display the reality of what that looks like to the world around us. Here on the Ashley Road, with issues of social problems around us, we are to display what the kingdom of God looks like. And our buildings are essential and central to that. Facilities facilitate the mission. Our buildings help us in the work of kingdom demonstration that God has called us to. So as we give, let's declare where we are. We're here because God has called us here and he's called us here with purpose. The second thing we to do then is to declare what we were. We were just going our own way and we didn't amount to very much, but now by the grace of God, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And that means that we are the richest people on earth. It's all ours because it all belongs to Jesus. We weren't anything, and now we're everything to Jesus. Wow. As we give, let's declare what we had suffered. We were held captive by the idols of the world. There were pharaohs in our lives dominating us. Now, if you were converted as a child, if you came to faith as a child, you might think, well, I can't even remember a time when I was caught by Pharaoh, whatever that might mean. But think what you have been spared. If by the grace of God you came to know Jesus as a child, you've been spared the suffering you might have known by being caught up in the idolatry of the world. That's a gift from God. As we come to give, let's declare God's rescue of us, that Christ has set us free. That's what the gospel does. brings us into the liberty of being sons and daughters of the king, that we have this freedom, this access in the house of God. It's all his, and in him it's all ours. We have access all areas. You've got the past. There's no restricted zones now for you in the kingdom of God. You've got the past. You can go anywhere because God welcomes you. You're his child. He loves you. He's set you free. He's rescued you. He rescued you not to send you to a worse place. He's rescued you to bring you into a better place. And then let's declare that what God has done demands a response. When the Israelites entered the land and the land was fruitful, it had to produce a response. It just had to. God has given me so much. What do I do? I'm not going to be passive in the face of this. No, I'm going to thank God for his amazing, abundant gifts to me. Now, how can we be passive in the face of God's grace? God has been so good to us, so kind to us. His kindness to us demands a response. And so as we give, we're to declare joy. The inclusiveness of the gospel. It even includes me. Includes you. We've got so many reasons to celebrate. All the things that God has done for us. All the things he's blessed us with. Every ounce of joy that we experience in life. It's all because of him. And so as we give, we do that declaring our joy in the Lord. Our giving is an act of worship to God. We come to God and we say, yes, Lord, 
We trust you. We believe in you. We have faith in you. You're the God who makes promises. You're the God who keeps your promises. And so I'm going to come and worship you. I'm going to honor you with the words of my mouth and with the actions of my hands. Giving is an enacted prayer that we actually work it out. We do it. It, it is a digging into our pockets and bringing them out and saying, Lord, it's all yours anyway, and so I'm trusting you in it again. It's an act of faith, and as we give, it's an act of declaration. It declares who God is. It declares what his promise is. It declares who we are, what we have become, and all we're anticipating in him. And as we give, we come asking God for more. Lord, don't deserve any of this. So what am I going to ask for? More. Give us more. Lord God, if you've called us to a mission, if God, if you've called us to make you known, known in Paul in Bournemouth, if you've called us to be good news on the Ashley Road, if you've called us to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like, if you've called us to see people's lives improved, to see people set free, if you've called us to demonstrate what living in freedom in God looks like, if you've called us to show the world what stepping out of slavery to the idolatry of the world and stepping into the freedom of being sons and daughters of God looks like, Lord, if you've called us to that, it's going to take some resources to display it. And so, Lord, give us more. It's a prayer we can ask. And so let's pray and let's give and let's rejoice. Will you stand with me and uh, let's pray together this prayer that should appear on the screen. Let's pray this together in faith. Gracious Father, thank you that you are generous and kind. Thank you for all you have given us already. Would you please entrust us with more so that we can do more for the sake of your name. Give us the people, buildings, and money we need to make you more and more famous in our town. Amen. Amen. And our uh, next song, you haven't taken up the offering already, have you? Good. In our next song, we're going to take up our offering. It might help if you grab one of these envelopes. Maybe you haven't come ready to give today, and this will help you think about it over the next week. Stick it on your fridge or something. Practical details about how to give, uh, whether it's cash, check, standing order, bank transfer, whatever it is on there. Also, if you are a taxpayer and you haven't yet signed and returned one of these forms so we can get gift aid, please do. It's a way of getting more money, free money from the government if we get a gift aid form, so I'd love you to do that. Lord, I thank you that you are kind to us, you're gracious, you're merciful. Thank you that we have good news to speak of, good news to share. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that here in BCP. I pray here on the Ashley Road, help us to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the resources that we need for the mission to which you've called us. I pray that... We wouldn't be kind of scrimping by thinking, how on earth are we going to do this? But we would know the provision of God, the miracle of God again and again. And that would cause in us an overflow of generosity to others and grateful response to you. So liberate our hearts, our minds, our hands as we give now. I ask in your name, King Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him.